0: Today's episode is brought to you by Ring Rescue, the new standard for stuck ring removal. Talk about rings on the fingers. Ring Rescue helps remove stuck rings in a non-destructive way. And just in case you are wondering what non-destructive means, it means shrinkage, baby. Shrinking the finger. And when shrinkage is used with their non-hydrating lubricant, It significantly reduces the need for ring cutting. I mean, what are we, barbarians? Taking off a stuck ring without a compression or shrinkage? I mean, you don't want to go there. That's like being in a tag team wrestling match without anyone to tag. It's like having cornflakes without the milk, like peanut butter without the jelly. I'm not saying to use peanut butter or cornflakes for this. Those are analogies. But actually, if you can remove a ring with peanut butter, send me a pic. I'd love to see how it played out. Use the code STIMULUS at checkout when you purchase your Ring Rescue finger compression device to get an extra bottle of their lube. And this lube is something special. Extra lube for free, fitty free. Just go to ringrescue.com stimulus and use a checkout code, STIMULUS. And to that point, you are listening to the Stimulus Podcast, where we break down strategies and tactics to live and work with intent. Don't just suck it up think differently. And if you're coming back, welcome back. If you're new to the show, it is great to have you. I'm your host, Rob Orman. And you know what? We're just going to get to it straight into the show. And I think I'm going to overlay a little emotive music right here. Yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff. Because now I'm going to read a book passage that deserves a little backing track. Here it is. The urge to check Twitter or refresh Reddit becomes a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards, too small to support the presence necessary for an intentional life. We've been engaging in a lopsided arms race in which the technologies encroaching on our autonomy are praying with increasing precision on deep seated vulnerabilities in our brains. While we still naively believe that we're just fiddling with fun gifts handed down from the nerd gods, Philip Morris just wanted your lungs. The app store wants your soul. And that comes from the book, which is the focus of today's discussion, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. And our co-conspirator for this conversation is our good friend, Dr. Dan McCollum. You might remember Dan from way back on stimulus episode number one, Verbal Judo. Now the book Digital minimalism, our topic for this whole episode, I'm going to have to say, had a surprising and significant positive impact on my life. It started right when I read the book. It continues until today. And we're going to break down the premise of the book, the specific exercises and tasks recommended. And then we're going to spend a bit of time on what happened when Dan and I both went through the digital minimalism process. Now, this recording happened about a year and a half ago. And since then, I've had some new adventures you might say in digital minimalism and i'm going to talk about those at the very end of the podcast there are some high points there are some low points more on that later but now let's get to it well i think that a starting off point for this conversation is what is digital minimalism you can kind of get an idea by the name of it the concept is in the title But really, what is it and why is it something that we might want to consider doing?
1: Well, it's really a philosophy of technology where we're just being very intentional about how we're using all of these wonderful tech tools that we've got. We're going to focus our online tools on a small number of very carefully selected and optimized activities that strongly support the things that we value. We're going to miss out on everything else and be very happy about it. So there's a few core principles to this idea. One is that clutter is costly. Second is optimization is important. And third is that intentionality is satisfying.
0: So the what of digital minimalism is pretty straightforward. And we're going to get into the details on how to do it, you know, kind of exactly as you said, the core principles, but the why is really the key. And the why is just kind of summarizing what's happening at the book. You know, we are inundated with continual low quality interactions and there's only so much attention and task switching that we have the capacity for in a day you know some more than others but each one of those uses of something like twitter or facebook or instagram it's like a quanta i don't know if quanta is the right word but quanta of focus of energy that doesn't get put somewhere else it just gets used up now you might think hey I love these interactions. I love Facebook. I love Twitter. They are awesome. And that's recognized in this book. Let me quote from Cal Newport. It's kind of a sample conversation that he's had with people about this stuff. Why do I need to use Facebook? I would ask. Cal asking. I can't tell you exactly. They would respond. But what if there's something useful to you in there that you're missing? This argument sounds absurd. To digital minimalists, because they believe that the best digital life is formed by carefully curating their tools to deliver massive and unambiguous benefits. They tend to be incredibly wary of low value activities that can clutter up their time and attention and end up hurting more than they help. And a big principle here is that most of the interactions that we have with social media, and this is a term that we've said a few times, are of low value maybe 10%, it might be generous, say that maybe 10% of high value. And you might think, I get so much from Twitter. I mean, all those great articles and the things I discover. And yes, that is the upside, all of that sharing of information and new ideas. But think about what's really going on there. Actually, let's, let's just break it down to a tiny thing. Think about your true motivation for sharing or posting something on any type of social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Is it strictly for the betterment of the world? and your community, or is there a tinge of a hunger for attention? It's a rhetorical question, and I'm going to answer that rhetorical question, which I guess is a faux pas because you're not supposed to answer those, but of course, it's wanting attention and validation. It's a significant motivator, and I can say that honestly because I'm not immune to that. None of us are. Now, it's not the only motivator, but it's a significant one. But then the question is, why is any of what we're talking about actually a bad thing?
1: Well, that's a really important question, Rob. Understanding the motivations for why we're consuming this and understanding the fear of missing out and the ego that all of us, you know, I'm on a podcast right now. Hi, everyone. It's Dan McCollum. Please spell my name right. You know, <laughs> we're we're human, right? Like we want and crave that.
0: The FOMO is huge. I mean, I, I watch my kids. They're on social media. They're going through, actually, I made them do this digital detox, which we'll talk about later. and the FOMO like, oh, I don't want to miss on this article, or this conversation, or be not relevant in the conversation.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about some of those, those core principles and why they really matter to this. So first off, clutter is costly. Think of that Twitter feed where 10% of it was really high value. Well, that means 90% of it was absolute garbage, not even counting all the advertisements and whatnot that inevitably show up whenever you're using any of these social media tools. But there's a lot of stuff that doesn't actually help you and even can set you off. Think of all the times that you were going through your Facebook feed and then that one political person that you have in your life that just said something for or against whatever political belief you had, it set you off for the rest of the day and you just found yourself irate. Well, that extra clutter that's present really cost you a lot because that wasn't the thing that you were looking for, but you happened to have it forced upon you because you couldn't help but see it. The second core principle would be about optimization how important that was. So if we really focus on why exactly it is that we're using these tools, and and I really like to think of them as tools, if we focus on what the purpose of this is, we might find that there are better ways of actually achieving that. If you're looking for Facebook as a news feed, for example, would it be better for you to not use Facebook as a news feed, but instead just spend a little bit of money and subscribe to a high quality magazine to learn some news? But if you focus on why exactly do you even need to know that news, you might realize that instead you should be reading a book instead of staying up to the most cutting edge, what happened 20 seconds ago, news article. The last uh, core principle is that intentionality is satisfying. That there's something really nice about sinking your teeth into something, knowing exactly what it is that you want, and using that tool exactly how it was meant to be. This reminds me of of the mention of Thoreau's new economics that was mentioned in the book. The cost of a thing is the amount of life that will need to be exchanged for it, either immediately or in the long term. Uh, We could probably stop the podcast right there. (laughs) Just drop the mic right there. Yeah. Thanks, Thoreau. <laughs> We've
0: said it before many times on this show that your time is an irretrievable and invaluable and precious resource that we don't give enough respect or attention to.
1: Absolutely. I mean, think of how we approach these things as if they're free. If Facebook charged you a dollar for each article you read, you'd probably be pretty upset with Facebook in a hurry because you would see this bill stacking up. But- you know, a lot of us will make a fair amount of money per hour. So why is it that if you waste an hour on Facebook and look back and say, I got nothing out of that? Well, they owe you some money, right? But we don't (laughs) view that in the same way that we would if Facebook was actually charging our credit card every time we clicked on something that was garbage.
0: Now, as we started looking into this and really reflecting what we're doing, I found that I was checking Twitter. I mean, it's checking Twitter. I was checking a lot of things, but let's just use Twitter as an example. It's not the only app or website But I was checking Twitter a dozen or more times a day, or more. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, what was I checking it for? It actually had become a compulsion. And it was a compulsion to see if I had gotten any mentions. And one of the bad things is, got a lot of Twitter followers. And so, you know, I get like mentioned a lot of things like, oh, yeah, it's awesome. And then, oh, what what are they talking about? And then like, oh, I'm included in that and how awesome. I was also about you know what people were talking about. I was using it as an aggregator for new ideas for the show. Now, I was thinking it's possible that Twitter is the absolute apex of quality for getting all that information, but it was also possible and more likely that it was more negative than net positive.
1: I think back of the absolute best tweets I've ever read, and most of those pale in comparison to even mediocre books I've read. <laughs>
0: So now the question is how do we do it? How do we use our phones, our computers, our apps in a way that is net positive that when we engage with those things that the engagements are the highest value interaction that we can get when seeking that information. So, you might think, I can just cut back and see how it feels. You know, I can cut back, but Cal Newport, the author of the book says that is not going to work and here is the method. Put aside a 30-day period in which you take a break from optional technologies in your life. During this 30-day break, explore and rediscover activities and behaviors that you find satisfying and meaningful. At the end of the break, reintroduce optional technologies into your life, starting from a blank slate. For each technology you reintroduce, determine what value it serves in your life and how specifically you will use it so as to maximize this value. So, this is not just us reading a book. Dan and I did this. We did the whole shebang. We are now many months afterwards. So, we're going to go through the process. Dan, how did you implement your cold turkey?
1: It was a little daunting at first because you you look at this 30-day period and you're like, how am I going to survive this? This seems crazy, right? But first off, I just basically made a list of what I was doing electronically, what tools were being done. And what was I spending a lot of time on? And there's actually some apps on different phones that will actually tell you this, you know, what your screen time was, I think is the Apple version of that. But what I removed was all iPhone games. So there were a lot of time-wasting, Candy Crush-like games that were on my phone. And I just took all those off for a month. I also removed Netflix because I was spending a reasonable amount of time watching shows on Netflix. I did make an exception that if someone I was hanging out with wanted to watch something, then I would watch it with them so that I wouldn't just be that antisocial guy that says, as soon as you turn on a TV, I have to leave the
0: room. And he mentions that in the book saying that like, that's actually a valid way because that social interaction, yeah that's the quality interaction. You know, like you're sharing the show, you're talking about, it, et cetera, rather than just sitting there with drool coming out of your mouth on your eighth episode of Dead to Me, which is an awesome series. My wife and I are watching we'll talk about later, but go ahead.
1: That's absolutely the case. Like, I look back at the times that I've watched TV shows with friends or watched a football game on TV with buddies. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Then I look at all the times that I didn't really savor my Netflix experience. It was, oh, it's two in the morning and I'm watching reruns of a show that I've seen before. And that doesn't feel good. And so that's the part that I wanted to cut out.
0: To that end, I might be getting a little bit ahead of this, but I listen to most podcasts now with my wife. Nice. I used to listen to all of them by myself. And still, like, if I'm commuting or doing something or traveling, I'll listen to on my own. But the conversation that you have about the stuff, you know, it's like a thought provoking one. It is such an enriching experience. And as opposed to isolating, it's like watching a great concert together. It's that shared experience. So what else did you do?
1: I also basically removed all the social media platforms. So no Twitter, no Facebook, no other forms of social media.
0: All right. Similar to you. I took Twitter off my phone. I deleted the app I did not check it for the entire month. I turned off all notifications from it and any social media. And this was a big one for me. I elected to check my email only twice a day rather than the 70 times a day that I usually do. (laughs) (laughs) I put my phone on do not disturb so that when I engage with the phone, it was to see what messages were there rather than the phone engaging me. It's kind of a small difference, but... I wanted to control the phone rather than it controlling me.
1: That sounds so small, but for me, that was a huge game changer because I was pulling stuff from the phone as opposed to it pushing things on me and kind of assaulting me with all these alerts that I didn't really need.
0: That changing to do not disturb was a huge, huge thing. And I hadn't thought about how big it was until you mentioned that. I did make it so that my wife and kids calls that those would come through because like, all right, those one I do want, I do want to be activated for it. I was traveling quite a bit during this. So I was still engaging with my phone with travel apps, but I found that whenever I turned on my phone, I would reflexively click on the email button or I would click on ESPN or whatever. There were a couple apps. It was a compulsion. And I actually thought about getting a flip phone, but I didn't. And what I did instead was I took my high use apps, which were email, texting, Slack, which is what we use inside of Hippo education for communication. Oh, and um, Safari. So I took all of those. I made a folder that I called high use apps. These are the high use apps I want to curtail. And I took them all from the main bar in the bottom. And I put them in this folder and I put it like three pages away in like an off center location. It took effort to get there. Now, the funny thing was, was five minutes after I did this, I reflexively picked up my phone without even thinking about it. And I found myself looking at my photo album. I hadn't even intended to look at this. Why am I doing this? What the heck? The reason was that I put my photo album in the place where I used to have my email icon. It was so telling and it really hit home that I needed to change my behavior in order to use this technology with intention rather than compulsion. It was almost like sleepwalking. And I woke up in the middle of the city buying a beer. Wait, what? Wait, what is happening here?
1: That's such a great point because it it almost reinforces the fact that we consciously recognize that there's a problem. But before I did this, I didn't realize how bad the problem was because I found myself randomly opening up apps as well, entirely because that's the location where it was. We only are recognizing the problem after we did this detox. And We were obviously motivated enough by there being a problem to where we were willing to do it. So you'll find if you follow through this as well, that you will actually see how bad your addiction is to some of these apps.
0: Addiction, compulsion, however you want to call it. So there were websites that I would check 15 times a day. I'm I'm on my computer all the time, you know, creating the podcast. So it's like, oh, I'll take a break. You know, I would check ESPN, CNN, Cycling News, you know, a lot of different soccer websites all out for a month. Netflix, that was out unless I was watching it with my wife. And this went on for a month. And at the end, I realized I missed none of it. In fact, I had never been so productive. I'd never been so focused. And I think that this, I'm going to read a quote from the book. It really hit home with how all of this played out. And, you know, I, I used Twitter or I did as part of an engagement for this show. And you could say, like, oh, well, that's a really high value target, you know, that you're missing out on. So here's what Cal Newport says. Maintaining an active presence on Twitter, for example, might occasionally open up an interesting new connection or expose you to an idea you hadn't heard before. Standard economic thinking says that such profits are good, and the more you receive, the better. It therefore makes sense to clutter your digital life with as many of these small sources of value as you can find, much as it made sense for he talks about a farmer, to a farmer to cultivate as many acres of land as he could afford to mortgage. It's easy to be seduced by the small amounts of profit offered by the latest app or service, but then forget its cost in terms of the most important resource we possess, the minutes of our life. More often than not, the cumulative cost of the non-crucial things we clutter our lives with can far outweigh the small benefits each individual piece of clutter promises.
1: No matter how much money you have, whether you're a billionaire or make a minimum wage, you can't buy more life. But we're basically spending our lives doing these things digitally that aren't really what we intended to do.
0: All right. Well, after a month of cold turkey, you start to phase in the information and activities that you've just cut out. For each engagement, I guess you'd say, that returns after the declutter, it gets judged or weighed. Does this technology directly support something that I deeply value? Not just some value, it's got, you know, deeply value. The second step, is this technology the best way to support this value? So tell me about your reintroduction.
1: Curiously, this was actually the hardest part of this for me. Yes. It was weird you would think that like that cold turkey, like you just can't do any of this stuff for a month would be really hard. And after like honestly it was a few hours, like it just became the new normal that I wasn't you know, on my phone as much. The reintroduction though was really hard because it makes you ask these really deep, hard questions about exactly what impact does Netflix have on your life. And that sounds not that deep until you really get into it. Like you're spending your life, you only have so long on this earth and you're spending it watching TV. And that might be okay, but it might also be a huge waste of your time. And so actually asking, what is this for me? and why am I doing it was surprisingly difficult. Was that the case for you too, Rob?
0: It's exactly as you say. And I found that old habits were very easy to fall back into.
1: Right. You would find these things creeping back in unless you really were specific about how you were going to limit it, which is why I think that uh, Newport was entirely correct, that if you think that you can do this process without at least some period of cold turkey it just won't work because you won't cut back as hard as you will once you see what it's like without them. So for me, I, you know, analyze what I was doing with, with streaming services such as Netflix. And now I limit myself for binge watching. If I've been working hard all day and I want to watch an episode of TV, awesome. If someone else is over and I'm wanting to just watch an episode of Nailed It with my girlfriend or whatever, great fun. Really enjoy that time. But I would limit myself from watching four or five episodes in a row and losing hours of my life. I also set iPhone timers. You can actually identify certain apps and put on your iPhone exactly how long you're allowed to use those apps in a day and then following those so that I can occasionally play a game on my iPhone. I don't think that's a huge problem. But I can't do that for hours during a day. The timer will go off and it actually restricts me from opening that app again.
0: You are such an interesting Case study because you are the philosopher gamer. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, you you love gaming.
1: Yes. It at first felt like kind of limiting, like, what do you mean I can't play this game? This is this is a fun game to try, but now you just have to realize that you have diminishing returns after a certain amount of time. I also got away from some of the kind of the popcorn snack that is Twitter and <laughs> Facebook and exchanged that for some of my favorite blogs and podcasts. So really getting into some nice nerdy goodness with uh, Wait But Why and XKCD blogs that really dove into some nice nerdy topics. And then even found a few new podcasts that I didn't have time for before because of some of the time wasters I was doing before.
0: My approach was very similar. And I said, all right, I'm going to check email twice a day at the beginning of the day. And then towards the middle, Twitter once a month. Nice. Nice. Only from my computer. I did not want it back on my phone. It's funny. I I found myself compulsively trying to find it on my phone the other day. (laughs) I was like, I keep my phone on do not disturb. So the notifications aren't dictating my actions. I've turned off all notifications from everything. I still keep my previous high use apps in the high use folder. That's not on the first page that I open. Although admittedly, because they're high use, like sometimes that is the page that I open now, the one with that little folder on it, limited Netflix. I check whatever news I want. For me, it's cycling news and soccer news once a day. And in the month since I've slipped on all of those, I've let them creep back in with more pervasiveness than I like, but it's still better than before. The one I really stuck to though, and I didn't talk about this in the cold turkey before was news news. I no longer check news websites at all. I am... Prone to going down the rabbit hole to feeling frustration, which frankly seems like the goal of a lot of news reporting is to piss you off. <laughs> yep. News aggregators, you know, I'm still looking into that. I, I'm looking for the perfect news aggregator to be like, okay, here is whatever, like a blog or something that I can check that is going to maximize good information and cut out on the waste. But for news now, my wife and I have started listening to The Daily. Podcast, which I have found a great way to go deep in current event stories. Now that we've done it, how are you feeling about all this?
1: It was really eye opening. I was actually surprised at at how much time I was wasting with some of these tools. I had a lot more free time available, really busy. I mean, an academic ER doc that enjoys podcasting. And the amount of free time I had was surprising to do the stuff that I actually cared about. You know, I could have time to meditate and work out and spend time with friends. Because I wasn't wasting on this dreck. And there's ripples that are still happening from this that still hit me and surprised me. I spend a lot less time on email. The emails I write are shorter and I check it a lot less often. I, I try to do it once, maybe twice a day and just let it go otherwise. I am intentionally fostering an avoidance of that fear of missing out for online activities. That there will always be a Twitter conversation in the background that I don't really need to participate in. Because there's probably something better in a book form. I found a lot of improvement from batching my tasks. So there's a certain amount that you pay every time you swap activities from one thing to the other. And if you're really intentional about what you're doing, you can batch all of these tasks together to where you're spending a lot on the same task instead of constantly switching back and forth between things. So, you know, by only checking my emails once or twice a day, you shave that several seconds it takes from checking it dozens of times a day where, where you're waiting for the app to load up or just swapping modes from whatever it was that you were doing before to responding to that one email that just popped up, which is honestly not a good use of your time because of the, the cost of doing that task switching. And instead of constantly checking news because, you know, I'm a news hound like you were as well, <laughs> I found that I would sort of batch those as well so that I listened to the Economist magazine uh, once a week in audio format. And then I scooped up a couple of daily brief podcasts with The Daily by The New York Times and Up First by NPR. So intentionally kind of fostering a balanced coverage of the news with a couple of different sources that were on different sides of the news spectrum. So now I find myself pausing before I use any electronic tool. Does this really make my life better? 10 years from now, will I really be happy that I spent my time this way?
0: For me, this was one of the smartest moves I've done in years. And during that month, I wrote two lectures 10 live interviews, 10 presentations for essentials, read several books and a huge one, more family time, other stuff. I mean, just more present. I think when you are engaged with something like your phone or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and somebody vies for your attention, the reflex is to lean out. And I found that when I wasn't engaged with all that other stuff, I was much more motivated and much more available to lean in to whatever their ask was or that experience. And I just felt much more engaged with the daily movement of life. There's this great quote that actually you you sent this to me as we were putting this together from Aziz Ansari that encapsulates the experience and a lot of what the book Digital Minimalism is getting at. This is from the Freakonomics podcast. He says,
1: here's a test. Like, okay, like take like your nightly or morning like browse of the internet, right? Your Facebook feed, Instagram feed, Twitter, whatever. Okay. If someone like every morning was like, hey, I'm going to print this and give you a bound copy of all the stuff you read. So you don't have to use the internet. You just get a bound copy of it. Would you read that book? No, you'd be like, this book sucks. Like, this is, <laughs> there, there, There's a link to some article uh, about, you know, a
0: horse and, uh, that like found its owner somehow. It's not that interesting. We've laid it out here. We've laid out the why, the what, the how, our experience. And Dan, give me the bullet, the take home, which I guess we could have put at the beginning, but we'll put it at the end.
1: So for me, digital tools are just that, a tool. Much like a hammer can be used to build a house, or it could be used as a weapon, tool is only as valuable as how you use it. Some tools are inherently more dangerous than others, such as a gun. They can still be used for noble purposes, but I fear that digital tools may be closer to guns than hammers. Many people are leading shallow lives and wasting their precious life on meaningless digital activities, They're reading Aziz Ansari's worst book ever. (laughs) In just one month, just one month, you can find out how much control these things have over you. It's up to us to take back our lives from our digital overlords and reassert our dominance over our digital tools.
0: That was heavy, man. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Dan, for coming on the show, listeners digital minimalism. I think we kind of encapsulated the book. You go ahead and read it if you want to get more details or you can just start these exercises now. We would love to hear your experience and what happens when you enter the digital detox and go cold turkey and reintegrate because you've just heard from two people. Let's hear from thousands. All right. As I mentioned at the beginning, I want to talk a little bit about what happened in the intervening year and a half since this happened. Checking news and sports websites, I've been pretty good about. I try to hit those just once a day. I still like doing it, but I am trying not to do it reflexively when I want a break. What I do now when I want a break is walk outside and just take some breaths, get some fresh air, do something that's not computer related. Granted, not 100% successful at that, but better. Social media, once every few days and just a few minutes at that, but email, email, really started to get me again. I mean, I've got an iPad, an iPhone, a laptop, a desktop. And I'll embarrassingly say that a few months after Dan and I went through that, I started to ramp up and I would check my email multiple times a day on each one of those things as I would use them. And these were not high yield email interactions. It wasn't like I was doing anything with the mail. I mean, sometimes I would, of course, but usually I would just check it, read it, close it, And I'd open up my email again later and look at the same thing that was just there. I mean, super inefficient. It was just a habit. It was such a strong habit, though, hard habit to break. And the biggest area of challenge for me was my phone, because my phone is also my wallet. I I thought it was a great idea. I used to lose my wallet all the time. And I was like, oh, just combine the two. So you know, you can always do find my phone, double-edged sword there, because I always know where that is. It's always within reach, or at least you know, somewhere close and I would just habitually pick it up and then boop, check my mail. I tried putting the mail, like we talked about, I would try putting it in a hard to find location, mix it up a little bit. So I didn't automatically know where it was, didn't work. Didn't work. And it was negatively affecting my brain. And if I had a day where I was just routinely checking my mail a bunch of times, I just could feel a little less mental clarity. So what I did, and I have to give credit to my friend, Mike Mallon for this is twofold. First. I made my phone's display black and white, and this was all to try to make that habit less attractive. And I didn't think that making my phone's display black and white would have much of an impact, but man, does it ever. I mean, interacting with the phone became immediately much less tasty. I mean, you know, it's still pretty cool, but I guess that color on that amazingly high resolution screen just dig out a little bit more dopamine. Second, I deleted the email app from my phone. And after I did it, I realized that that was what had to be done to effectively detox from email checking addiction. Definitely an addiction. I had to make it something that I couldn't just do on habit. It had to be something that I did intentionally on another device. For the first several days, I would find myself without even thinking on my phone, searching for the mail app, like my hand was controlled by some alien. And then I just shake my head thinking, what am I doing? I actually still feel a little bit of a magnetic draw to check for email when I walk by my phone, but it's way less than it was. I've got a friend who was a smoker and he said that when he would see somebody smoking a cigarette, he would just feel this magnetic draw to want to do it. I mean, maybe they're working on similar areas of the brain. I was worried that I might miss things that were super immediately important, but I've got so many other portals in which to check this email that that has not turned out to be the case. In fact, it's been better because now when I check my email, actually answer the email and complete the circle. All right, that is it for today. For complete show notes of this or any other episode, just go to our website, StimulusPodcast.com. There, you can also sign up for our newsletter, see some videos. You can subscribe to Stimulus and pretty much any podcatcher you use. And if it happens to be iTunes, throw down a review and rating. I read all the reviews and more importantly, so do potential guests. Thanks in advance for that. Until the next time, be well and keep on rocking.